It's really important to me to understand the role that my teams are doing. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me on today's show, we've got Akish. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Very cold. We're in Arctic conditions here in the UK. Um, Mate. Don't don't even joke. I had an engineer out yesterday because my boiler was down for a few hours. Oh, and, oh my God, was it cold? Yeah, but you do live in a big mansion in the uh, English countryside, the Garden of I England. I do not live you? in a mansion. <laughs> I do not live in a mansion. And it turns out that the boiler was fine. Well, no, it lost pressure ah. because it's because it's not a combi. Because we've got uh, we've got a water tank. We've got an airing cupboard. Because mm, you've got a massive which, house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> did one because <laughs> uh, we've got an airing cupboard. Apparently, you have to bleed. I, I don't know. You had to. I had to top up the up there and stuff. But then, then the engineer gave me a, a lesson on how my heating works. And yeah. showed me how to bleed all the radiators, which I have to admit, at the age of thirty-eight. Yes, I'm thirty-eight now. Mm. Uh, I'd never bled a radiator in my life because you know rented mm. accommodation. Yeah, and then you probably he probably asked you how long you'd been in there, and you went, oh, a few years. Um, two years two yeah years. exactly two years and he probably looked at you like okay then but anyway what have you bled radiators i have i have actually correct all right okay yeah okay. my dad I, I remember my dad used to do it when i was young used to, before the summer hit you know it used, used to be part of the uh the winter mot that he used to do around the house i mean all he really did was check the windows and bleed the radiators and I remember, it, 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 yeah. it makes it sound a lot more complicated than it really is. It well, the, well, seconds. there used to be like one day in September where my parents used to whack up the heating, and like it was that time when, like in autumn, it was still quite hot. They used to whack up the heating just to make sure everything was working before the colder months. I was like, okay, brilliant. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, Lunatic. Thinking of the fact that it's cold. Yep. If you could book a holiday anywhere in the world, where would you go? Southern Hemisphere right now, somewhere where it's hot. Well, all right, okay, yeah. That's, South that's still Africa. Quite... Okay, South that's Africa. a bit more specific. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Take me Cricket. To... Yeah. Go Take... watch the one-dayers. Yeah, cricket, steak, red wine, you know, get me there. Shorts, T-shirt, flip-flops. Yeah. There. yeah, England are playing on Friday, so quite well-timed. Yeah. yeah, they are, yeah. Yeah, get me there. South Africa, I think... Oh, Argentina. Argentina. Okay. Okay. Again, steak. So, yeah. Wine. Sunny right now. Well, you well, don't drink. But I wish anyway. the wine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I also I quite like the idea of going and watching like Boca versus River and going to some like dive bar and there being tango and stuff and it just being, yeah. Mm. Good for the culture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The reason why we're asking about holidays or talking about holidays is because today's first guest is Chris Williamson from TUI, um, which if you're not familiar with TUI, big integrated travel app or travel company, far more than just an app. So we're going to hand over to the interview with Chris and we'll come back with some comments afterwards. Today, I'm joined by Chris Williamson uh, from TUI. Chris, before I, I get this wrong, because often with, with an organization like TUI, you have CIOs in different departments and different kind of t technology leaders for different parts of the business. What is your responsibility within TUI? 
Hi, David. So um, I'm a global technology director, which basically means I manage technology for TUI across uh, the TUI global footprint. Um, specifically, I'm responsible for the mobile apps. Um, so we have 11 different mobile apps operating across the different territories of the globe that TUI operate in, and also the payment systems. So TUI is an organization that uh, grew through acquisition. So we have different payment systems in different territories. And part of my role is consolidating that into a global payment platform for, for TUI to make sure that our customers can obviously search and book for their holidays, but also pay for them um, to get the experience that they're looking for. I see. And how long have you, have you been in that position? So I'm quite, I'm quite a newbie, to be honest. So I'm just approaching my um, one-year anniversary. Um, I started on Valentine's Day last year. Oh. Um, so, so yeah, so approaching, approaching my year, um, I um, took quite a, a leap. Um, I've worked in finance for the last uh, nine years before TUI, so worked in big banks. Um, last role was responsible for technology delivery, um, web, mobile, contact center, and back-end platforms for First Direct, um, mm -hmm. a brand under the HSBC group. Before there, I worked for Lloyds Banking Group, managing payments, uh, technology change. I've worked for Heineken, um, the brewer, delivering IT infrastructure. I've worked for a small software company doing point of sale and started my life um, working in telecommunications for um, what used to be Orange and became EE. So if you started in, uh, in early February last year, this is your first uh, time working in the travel industry, I suppose, in January. Yes. And I'm looking out the window right now. It is raining. <laughs> it is windy. It is cold. On the television, there are adverts to book holidays. This must be a particularly busy time of the year, especially if you're looking after those um, those applications. Yeah, very, very busy time for us. I think travel is a really interesting industry. You know, it's got tight margins. It's a competitive sector. And you can imagine had... A massive impact off the back of uh, the pandemic. Travel is seeing a real resurgence at the moment. People want to go on holiday, they're booking holidays, and it's been an incredibly busy time for us from really just after Christmas until now. You know, in fact, we've had record-breaking days. Um, so, you know, people want to book their holidays despite the economic uncertainty that's out there right now. I think that's an interesting point that you, that you say, despite the economic um, mm. uncertainty. Has it changed the habits? I mean, people are booking their holidays, yes, but I suppose they might be looking for a bit more insight into what they're booking. Because, you know, if, if that money, it's not to say it wasn't precious before, of course it was, because holidays are a, a significant um, amount of money. But I suppose people would, will really want to know that if they're spending that money, that they are really getting something that they're going to cherish. Yeah, we, we are seeing some changes to uh, customer behavior. People are more careful about how they're spending their money and they, they, they want to make sure that they're, they're making the right choices. I think too, we've put some really great deals out um, in the, the, the sales and after, after Christmas, which are really appealing to customers. We're seeing a lot of demand there. And I think we're also trying to really use technology to make sure we can personalize the journey for customers promote experiences that are relevant for them you know too we don't just do package holidays we do flight only accommodation only we do excursions we're trying to kind of do all the sorts of experiences that a customer would want on their holiday so they can really personalize their experience to something that works for them and um that is you know it's going down really well what 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 does that actually look like in in 
in the app for 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 a customer. You said you you know you, it almost sounds like you can put together a, a bespoke holiday. I know for a fact that my wife she fancies herself. I think as a as a travel agent, she loves kind of shopping around and getting good deals and going. All right, well if we get this flight and we do this hotel and whatever else and um, kind of comparing different sites. How, how do you try and bring that? to one place for the customer so that they're getting an experience that that really is quite innovative and delivers for them. Yeah, so we we try to promote a really engaging experience that um, shows the, the customer great holiday destinations and, and really gets them excited about what we have to offer. We've got some great facilities to be able to search for the, the holiday that is specific to what that customer wants. And we're also going through quite a rapid transformation with our mobile app. So we've got a really exciting few months ahead. Uh, we're in the process of redesigning it um, to give the app a more modern look and feel and really kind of focusing in on personalizing uh, what we can offer to that to the customer. So, um, you know, right right now we offer some great things and it's going to get better over the next few months. How do you how do you keep people people engaged? I suppose because it, it feels like it's probably one of those apps that you download, you you get it on your phone, and it's maybe on like the third or the fourth page. Maybe your your app draws alphabetical, and you log in like I don't know once or twice a year because that's that's that moment where you're looking for the holiday, and then it's dormant for the rest of the time. So I suppose it might be a challenge to keep keep your audience engaged with you. Yeah, definitely, David. But I, I don't know about you, but when I'm looking out of the window today and seeing a, a rainy day in January <laughs> and I'm sat in my home office, uh, you know, I'm having a great conversation with you, don't get me wrong. But when that notification p- pops up on the Tui app to say, you, you know, what, what about going to the Caribbean in the summer? Um, it's definitely something that engages me as a customer. And I think that's how we how we do it, really. You know, it's a great opportunity for customers to download the app onto their phone. Once they've got that, we've got that ability to communicate with them, um, to, to entice them into that kind of holiday experience to, uh, to cure the January blues in this case. And more broadly, what innovations are there within technology and travel that are quite eye-catching? Because, you know... We, I know over the last year or so, there's been a lot of chat about um, meta and the metaverse. I, I imagine those kind of um, those kind of ideas are some way off. But I do remember having conversations with people around travel and tech and the use of VR, kind of going back five or six years. But it feels like we're still a little way off that. Even what what are customers beginning to see in terms of innovations that can really enhance the experience for them? Yeah, certainly, certainly those things we are we are looking at. An organization like TUI is really unique because, you know, we're one of the biggest travel companies in in the world, but TUI don't just offer the ability to find and and purchase a holiday digitally. You know, we we, we offer the ability for customers to find and purchase a holiday digitally or physically in a store through a variety of channels, but also TUI own cruise ships, airlines, we own excursions companies, buses. And because we have all of those assets, we've got a really unique opportunity to use technology to have a connected environment. So one of the things that really excites me about travel and, and technology at the moment is the ability to kind of converge on the digital experience to that physical experience so that a customer can find their perfect holiday through the mobile app, book it and pay for it, uh, get to the airport, you know, the app can tell them 
where to go. You know, it helps them find, get on their flight. They they're able to find their transfer, and then once they get to the destination, it's then an intelligent tool to be able to tell them about local facilities, about excursions. Now we're not quite there yet. That's you know a bit of insight into where, where we're looking to go. But there's so much opportunity in travel, and certainly you know things like the metaverse um, using um, virtual reality, augmented reality are all things that we're looking uh, at because we want customers to kind of really get immersed and get excited about that potential experience so that they can book something and, and then go on, on the actual experience. So that's really exciting. It's also exciting to look at what um, some of the younger customers uh, like in terms of the tools to find their perfect holiday because we do see differences from our more traditional customer base to some of the younger customers where you know they want to use some of the new social media platforms. They want to see real photos of people going on those experiences and and you know see what people's instagram photos look like and things like that so that's quite interesting as well i mean immersive is exciting and involving um one side of your job that perhaps may not be quite as sexy is the payment app side of things and uh sorry the payment system side of things rather in the internal systems and stitching those together but nonetheless underpinning all of that good work that you're doing as, as as a business I completely um, disagree. I think payments are sexy, to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I'm you're in the right job. About payments. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, um, um, you know, there's there's a lot of exciting new payment technology around, you, you know, the things that uh, Apple and Google are rolling out. Uh, you know, buy now, pay later is really popular. Um, and, you know, a lot of new dif- new payment methods that are coming down the, 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 the road. So, yeah, a lot of potential I, there as well. I thought it must be interesting for you coming from a financial services background into hmm. um, a sector that might not be quite as literate um, in some of those tools and those services in travel, and especially if you're acquiring businesses that might be at slightly different levels of maturity. What have been the barriers to actually putting together um, the, the systems successfully that underpin the business and help it work? I think... The technology is complex and it's not uh, technology that can be changed very quickly because anything you do in payments comes with a degree of risk. Obviously, the the, the payments capability is the backbone of any business. And Mm. if things go wrong, then the business can't operate. So, uh, you know, coming from banking into an organization like TUI, it's interesting to see um, the other side, so to speak. And um, I think, yeah, the challenge is just kind of breaking down that complexity to modernize the technology, use you know cloud capability instead of some of the, the older on-premises uh, capability and, and really kind of consolidate and o- almost have one solution that works for different markets. Because if you look at the Nordics and the way people pay in the Nordics, it's very different to the way somebody would pay in Germany or the UK, for example. So, you know, part of my role is to, to, to consolidate and get that global platform so we get the benefits of having that, that single infrastructure, but also making sure that we've got the capability to deliver payment solutions that work for customers in our very different markets. And what would you say to other digital leaders out there who maybe haven't worked in global roles to the extent that you have? Uh, and are currently doing at the moment in terms of some best practice ideas to help smooth that transition and get those businesses integrated or those systems integrated so, uh, as quickly as possible? So I'm a big believer in creating an excellent environment for people and 
you know, a big believer in the development experience. I think, um, you know, technology is so competitive now that some of the great developers out there um, or other technical people like architects can, can choose which sort of organization that they, they work for because there's so many jobs out there. So my advice for anyone taking a, a global role like this is to not just think technology and think business objectives, but to really think people and think about creating the best environment possible for people. Think about developing people, giving them opportunities, um, because I think if you can create that environment and, and you know focus on team happiness as well as the, the outcomes that you're delivering, that will inevitably result in people delivering more, people being happier about working in the organization, good press for the organization. And it's, you know, it's a win-win if you can create that. And one of the things that I find, you know, despite my my global role, um, managing multiple teams, I like to get right into the teams. And, you know, for example, in December, I spent a full sprint with one of our, our mobile teams, went to all the ceremonies, did some paired programming with the guys and, you know, observed the testers and things. And for me, that was really useful to kind of see on the ground how things are going and, and you know, to be able to use that insight to contribute to initiatives that we're doing at a, a global level to make sure the environment is right for our people. You talk there about developing people. Um, obviously, that's something that I imagine everyone will agree with. And, and it, what is great as well is that you yourself are, are doing that. You are studying at the moment for a master's. What's, what's the master's in? Uh, computer science specializing in artificial intelligence um so so yeah i do you know i like to i like tech and i like to get into the detail as well as kind of operating at that um that organizational level are your fellow students in similarly large roles i suppose there might be some envy that you can actually pick up some of these tools and put them into an environment right i, I would say i i probably stand out from my peers a little. Most mm. of my peers at university tend to be more developers and testers and, and people aspiring to be architects, for example. So it's not typical, um, but certainly something that I'm finding very valuable to understand more about the different um, programming languages that my, my teams are using effectively. So, yeah. I mean, someone, there might be some people rather in your position who find that a little bit daunting. You know, they're used to managing large teams, but putting yourself back in a learning environment where these people who are aspiring are your peers, that might put them out of their comfort zone. What, what would you say to that person? I think I, I was a little apprehensive before I, I started um, do, doing this, to be honest. And I think, you know, it's an interesting role, uh, uh, a global technology director or a CIO because we come from a variety of backgrounds. I've worked with, with people who come from developer backgrounds and they've got that experience. People who've come from accountancy backgrounds and you know various different leadership backgrounds. So I, I think for, for, for me, it's really important to me to understand the role that my teams are doing. And whilst it was daunting initially, once I actually got into it and, uh, you know, actually work through some of the the problems and the different uh, modules that I've gone through so far it is something that's possible to learn certainly it has been for me and I would you know expect that whilst it might be daunting to people once you actually get into it and experience it um, I'm sure many people would find that they, they they could do it and would get value out of it as well well look I imagine there's a huge amount of people there who are sitting looking out of the window thinking about warmer climates and yeah. 
slightly more sunshine. So hopefully this is uh, giving them that uh, slight nudge to go and have a think about a holiday and take a break in the later in the year. But uh, I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks for talking us through some of the uh, tech behind Tui. Few different points in here that I think are really worth pulling out. Uh, if I if I quickly kind of list a couple of them, and then Akish, you can choose which you'd like mm-hmm. to dive into in a bit more detail. Really interesting that he talks about the fact that uh, it's um, integrated and intelligent tools, talking about excursions and facilities, but. Nonetheless, whilst that's something that they're getting towards, there is a definite difference between young people and their traditional market, young people wanting real experiences and using Instagram. thought that was interesting. Uh, talked a lot about um, choose which sort of organisation uh, you wish to be because there's a lot of jobs out there. So it's not just about tech and business objectives, but thinking about people and team happiness. And then the third point that I'd probably point to... Um, a little bit apprehensive about going back into education, but global tech directors, CIOs all have different backgrounds. He thinks it was really important to have an understanding of what his teams are doing. Um, so thought that was really interesting that he's gone back and he's studying again. Mm. Those three, where, where do you want to focus? Uh, let's start with your first point, really. You know, younger generation Instagram. looking for experiences. Um, I still think I'm, I, I'll be considered a younger generation, although... Day by yeah, day, I think so. yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, but I, I, I think that's that's relevant, right? Because so just just to point out, if you're not considered younger generation, then I'm truly screwed. So correct, yeah, yeah. Well, so definitely for yours for your sanity, <laughs> we both are. Um, anyway, so I, I I think more and more, right? We're seeing this whole sort of you know influencer type you know sort of mentality where people are reviewing holidays, reviewing destinations, you know. Often on kind of social media, I see, you know, here's my top five places to go in Bali or here's my top five places to go when visiting, you know, Dubai or these sorts of places. And I think a lot of people use that as a basis of a holiday um, or, you know, would definitely sort of look at, you know, these sorts of pages to inspire them. Um, I remember back in the day when I was young, used to go on holiday and there always used to be someone on the plane or someone in the airport that would be reading, you know, those little yellow books that used to get at the WH Smith, mm-hmm. like top things to do in whatever, wherever you're going, um, you know, the Canary Islands or, or, or somewhere. Right. Whereas now you've got this app on your phone and it allows you to see videos. It allows you to see, you know, places, see the sort of clientele and stuff that goes there. And I think more and more for experiences, that's becoming key. Um, and I don't know if you were on social media over the weekend, but I'll mention Dubai, but they had this new resort that opened and it was the first time Beyonce performed there. Apparently they paid a $24 million to do a performance there on their, on their opening. Right. And mm-hmm. things like that will only attract people. I mean, it's going to attract a certain type of clientele, you know, a fairly affluent one, maybe someone with, quite a lot of disposable income but nevertheless you know that is a type of place where people will then start to view on this app and go how do i get tickets to dubai how do i do you know a holiday here or go to this resort or whatever but i think the interesting point that chris has to say and he said but they're not there yet Mm. but that kind of destination of excursions and facilities and and that information all being integrated in one place because with instagram yeah, absolutely. When I've got away on a holiday, you look at the hotel, you have a look at hashtags, you try mm. and search places, but it's still quite a lot of, quite a bit of time intensive research on your part. Uh, and you've got to go out and you've got to look at various different tags, different places, different accounts. Mm. You've got to know what you're looking for. 
So if, if someone was bringing it for you into one place where you've got your flights information, your hotel, all that kind of stuff, mm. does make sense that that would be a very attractive proposition for a consumer. Absolutely. And I think for a consumer where, again, you know, a certain demographic whereby you kind of mentioned in the interview, right? Like your wife likes to think she's a bit of a travel agent when, she does. when it gets the holidays does. and stuff, right? And she had to be fair to her. She's found some amazing deals over well, so So there you go, right? But not everyone maybe has the patience or the, you know, the, the sort of urge to kind of go into the deep pages of the internet and find deals and find, you know, kind of brokers and stuff. I know I don't. So if I need to go somewhere, I go, right, how much is this? How much is that? Bang, bang. I'll probably only look around two, maybe three places. And I'm, mm. I'm probably a good victim of people's marketing, to be honest, because I'm like, oh, that looks nice. Um, but then if it's all in front of you in one sort of, you know, user experience almost, um, yeah. then I think it's good. And then addressing another point whereby, you know, it's kind of looking to go back into education and seeing what his staff and that sort of stuff is good. I think that's great. I think not only does it allow you to see the theory or what people are learning or what the kind of curriculum or syllabuses and these sorts of things are currently made of, it just allows you to have the exposure with obviously a generation that's younger than you who have kind of you know first time into higher education or whatever and it probably allows you to learn certain skills or certain personality traits about yourself that you can bring into the workplace which will then only allow you to communicate better to work better understand you know people better which will then lead into a more productive environment so yeah i mean look the thing is you could be a cio or a chief global technology mm. officer and you might have come up the architecture infrastructure route, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe you got really good business acumen. And a developer could be sitting there going, yeah, this guy's really, really good. Or this girl's mm. really good. Um, they really get the business. They're able to translate kind of the technical um, requirements through the business requirements and vice versa. But, oh, God, you know, they don't really get development. But if you're someone who's come up that route and then you mm. go and sit in a classroom and try, even if you don't get it, it's like when you go on holiday. Let's. It's nice. There's a nice little, little closing loop here. But if you go on holiday and, and you go to Paris, people frequently say that the Parisians are rude. They're not. If you try and speak French, mm. if you try and speak French, they will speak English back at you. Mm. And maybe it'll be the same thing in a work environment where if you've got a development team and they can see that you're trying to understand and you're trying to mm. build, then they're gonna they're gonna come on that journey with you. They're gonna respect you as a leader and 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 help you out. It just shows a huge element of empathy, right? That, that, that's mm. that's what I can kind of put it down to. And you know, what do we hear? The the Tony Robbins of this world and all these motivational speakers and books and stuff, right? He says how to be an empathetic leader. And unless they're kind of understanding, you know, where their development teams or where their new kind of engineers are coming from, you know, that's what will allow them a to give better instruction, to give better I guess, vision, but B, mm. also to understand that if things aren't going right or if aren't going up to the standard that they require, then why? You know, it's not that the person is inept or not able to. It's maybe just, you know, how things are, are, are taught. Like, for example, the alphabet, when me and you were in school, it was taught A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, right? Like, How is it taught now? Well, it, it's it's done on sounds, like abba, ka, da. Is it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's schools, mate, where they... so. If you were to ask a five-year-old now, oh, you know, tell me the alphabet, right? 
like yeah 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 so <clears throat> you know it, it, just little things like that um you know just the expectations will be different so you know that's how we are kind of i guess evolving but when when we evolve mm. when technology evolves when the business evolve evolves we also need to learn that the people that are doing what we were doing 10 15 20 years ago that whole element has evolved right in the same way when me and you went to university or did our education stuff we had a fair bit of technology um you know available to us but our parents well, didn't well oh that's true i mean you had more than your mom and dad and i had more than you um uh, <laughs> but but you know but that's that's the kind of natural involvement right and if um if leaders like that are sort of putting themselves back in and saying actually you know this is more for my professional development as well as my personal don't get me wrong um i think i just think it, it would bode a lot more respect um in the same way if my md you know for one day decided to do the job that i'm doing maybe he would understand my challenges and and, and difficulties and shortcomings on certain things um mm. so if he's listening you know feel free but yeah we'll see <laughs> Um, before we go to our break and we've got something very exciting to bring you after the break uh, just a quick bit of advice for you Akish and anyone else listening you uh, you don't like doing that uh, that research my wife's top tip look for the hotels that have just opened mm, so they good. don't have a lot of social media presence they don't have TripAdvisor reviews it's how we've managed to stay in some pretty pretty nice accommodation obviously it's got a limited lifespan but if it's their first season they haven't got b- built up that um equity with consumers that uh, you get via flying uh, Beyonce in. Quite a good way of getting yourself a cheap, good holiday. I like that. I like that. I will use that. (laughs) Anyway, I think with that, we should go to um, our advert break and we'll be back in a moment with a bit of a call to arms. Here at Tech Talks, we're very lucky to have a lot of content and sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with it. For example, when we go to a conference, we will quite regularly meet 15 or 20 people and not know how to get them all on the show. So we've created something new, Tech Talks Extra, for those snippets from conference floors or from one-off events that we don't quite know how to fit into your regular Tuesday show. Tech Talks Extra is free, It's on a private RSS, so you do need to sign up for it and subscribe. But as I say, it's free and all you need to do is hand over your email address and in return, we'll give you instructions of how to access all of that additional content. To get instructions and to sign up to the show so you can play it on Apple and Google podcast players, all you need to do is go to www.nashsquared.com forward slash the hyphen hub forward slash tech hyphen talks hyphen extra hyphen sign up hyphen form alternatively have a look at the link in the show notes probably a bit of an easier way to do it don't miss out on all the bonus content that we've got from the likes of web summit unleash world or from any internal events that we're running welcome back to the show this second half we're going to bring you an interview with maria allen fernandez maria is a finance manager at amazon she's also the author of the Retail Business Guidebook, which is all about digital commerce. Um, and Maria is someone who I met a few years ago. She's in her mid to late 20s. Um, won't go into any more detail than that. Feels like it could be an unfair thing to do. But let's say that she's towards the beginning of her career, all right, Akish? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and had massive imposter syndrome about writing a book, but she has done that. It's published. It's out in paperback and probably hardback, although I'm not entirely sure about that. But physically, it's out in bookshops. You can buy it. Yep. Um, and I was really uh, keen to, to interview her because at the same time, uh, the nominations have opened for this year's Rising Stars 100 Awards, which is returning for its ninth year, ran by We Are The City to celebrate remarkable women, companies and male allies across 23 categories. And you know what? Maria probably falls into that category as someone who is um, has come out of school, didn't go to university, did an apprenticeship route, consultancy, now finance manager on Amazon and a published author writing all about digital commerce, which I think is pretty fucking cool. I'd agree with you. And I think to show her journey, right? Um, exactly. From, from where she's come from to what she's done, as well as being an author and in a full-time role, did you say? Finance yep. manager at Amazon? Yeah. Um, yeah. And share her experiences on that industry. Um, and obviously, when it comes to e-commerce, I want to say Amazon's number one. I don't, I don't know. Is that right? eBay, maybe? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Probably, yeah, yeah Amazon. Amazon yeah. Um, so she's obviously got a lot of experience and a lot of things to talk about and, and listen, right? And e-commerce is... Um, I, in fact, I read an article yesterday, actually, it, when it was basically saying, talking about um, entrepreneurship and, and side hustles and these sorts of things. It said e-commerce is the most common uh, form of kind of, you know, secondary streams of outcome uh, of of income for mm -hmm. people because you know a lot of people can replicate what these big businesses do but you know on more of a manageable scale um but you know it's talking about sort of reselling and um you know electronics and trainers and these sorts of things but yeah to, to hear it from someone that actually works in in there great so respect to her i like it. yeah and she does she talks all about that journey as i said she went through the apprentice route um so you know how to how to kind of get the skills get the confidence to get into the industry to to succeed and you know obviously to to have the um what's the right word i suppose the determination mm. to write a book mm. and put your views out there and 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 be brave in that regard really inspiring so yeah not only is maria wonderfully worth listening to entirely in her own right i think it also ties in beautifully with the fact that nominations are open for the rising star 100 awards for we are the city i think maria would make a very good nominee um which yeah ninth year i think hundreds and hundreds of of rising stars across the industry have now been recognized by we are the city so check that out hashtag rising stars 100 that'll find it on linkedin and most other platforms or or just go to we are the city all one word have a look um but yeah akish thank you for your time thank you Enjoy this interview. Today, I'm talking to Maria. Thanks for making some time to join me on the podcast. Perfect. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. How are you today? It's, well, it's dark now, but it was grey and wet and windy, uh, <laughs> kind of just into the new year. And it kind of feels like that slight blues of everyone wanting to get away on holiday. I know. I have already started looking at the January sales, but <laughs> just something to look forward to in March after the busy period. Absolutely. Look, before we get into anything else, you want to give a bit of context and tell us what you do, where you work and, and kind of what your focus is. I currently work at Amazon as a finance manager. I've been there, well, coming up to two years now, so two years in April. Can't quite believe how time flies. Um, before that, I did eight years in audit and I went straight in as a school leaver at 18. So I went under, well, followed a more unconventional path. 
Um, it was a very good eight years, but then I wanted to make that move into industry just to get a bit more knowledge from the other side. Um, and during that time, I've been writing a book, which I published in August of this year. Um, and that book has been focused on the retail industry and just being a kind of 101 on how retail businesses processes work. And your your background is finance, but given retail businesses are heavily digital, I assume you're beginning to slide further and further into that, that direction of a, of a technology environment and I suppose a technology role to a degree. Oh, yeah, completely. It's, it's all a blend. So when people say, I guess titles are quite misleading because when people say they work in finance or they work in accounting, it's quite rare these days just to have one hat on. So you're not just solely an accountant processing entries or reviewing accounting decisions it is quite blended so you have to be involved in projects to automate just try and improve processes um, and in my previous role in audit and I think a lot of the audit firms have been doing this over the last few years is really trying to digitize the audit process and have people be involved in kind of a hybrid role um, so previously at my prior firm in audit, I moved into a role which was just around looking at how we could leverage data analytics, uh, RPA, so robotic process automating. Um, so it was quite an interesting blend of having worked in the being in the detail of accounting and reviewing like business audits to moving into this role, which was more heavily focused on how we leverage technology. I mean, without wanting to uh, pry too much, I I'm assuming that you're in your late 20s, given your kind of career history and whatever else. Do you have younger siblings? Do you have kind of family members who are still at school? Um, no, not at all. I, I just wonder, because it's that thing that if, if you do talk to people who are still at school, do they, do they, do they understand that? Because I suppose they, you know, teachers, and this is no fault of their own, if they haven't worked in industry, they might not get that blended understanding they might still think of finance as finance and technology as technology and not quite get where the world of work is going to and I suppose helping people who are perhaps 15 16 17 18 and making decisions they might end up making the wrong decisions if they don't really have access to that knowledge yeah completely I think titles and role descriptions can always be a bit misleading um, because especially like in in the world of finance there's always going to be that hybrid and in getting involved in other projects and I feel that if you're at school and making that decision of whether you go to university or take a school leaver route, you might be put off going jumping straight into the world of work and limiting yourself to one area. When in fact, when you jump into the world of work and get in, like, into your role, there's so many areas that cross over. Um, so at the moment, when I'm dealing with apprentices at work, we work on a lot of different projects together so that they don't feel that they're just getting stuck in the bits that suit their training and support their qualification, but also on wider projects that involve like a tech lens. Um, and the same applied to when we had school leavers coming in in audit, just kind of getting them involved from that early stage so that they can understand the systems and tools that we were using. And look, you joined BDO yourself as a school leaver on an apprentice program. Um, what about that program? What, what did you... What did you learn during that program that you think has stood you in good stead, especially given that you're now working at an organisation like Amazon, where I suppose a lot of people might assume, oh, well, you might need a qualification like a university qualification. You're proof that that's not the case. What do you think you took from, from your experience? Oh, so much. I think what was really important is having that time to build on foundational knowledge. Um, I guess you kind of get the same experience as a grad, but as a school leaver, you've got a few extra years that you have to stay 
in the qualification for before you're fully qualified. Um, so at the time, it was typically three years for grads and it was five years for school leavers to fully qualify on their contract. Just having that extra time and being involved in more audits was definitely hugely beneficial because you really start from the bottom of the business processes. So you're involved with talking to payroll teams, you'll talk to the treasury team, you'll talk to the stock team, the like um, supplier recs team. So you're involved in all of those processes and you're getting involved at those very early tasks. So it's very foundational. And then year on year, you're building on that and you're doing more complex areas and you're getting involved. If you're going down the accounting route, then you're getting involved in more complex accounting matters. Um, and then by the time that you finish, you can jump straight into being more of a senior in these roles. Um, so it means that you can have that jump and it's quite a nice swift path to manager if you are spending time in really jumping in, taking on the responsibility, um, you know, showing senior managers and partners that you want to get involved. So it is just a really good way of jumping to a management role and getting involved in managing others from a very early age, which I feel when you're on the grad route, you don't get those extra years and that foundational knowledge as well as you do as a school leaver. I mean, look, I, I, am, I am guilty myself of being someone who at the age of 16, 17, just immediately thought university. I, that that was the route that my family. I, I I'm lucky that I came from a family where well, I say lucky. I I don't know. I but I was in the privileged position of coming from a family where my parents had been to university, my sister went to university, so I didn't really kind of think about it. And maybe if I'd stopped and thought about it, it might not have been the best route for me. Who knows? What what thinking do you think people should actually young people should have at that point to ask is this is this the route for me? You know, is this going to help me achieve? what I want to do, where I want to get to. Yeah, I guess it depends because I feel like some individuals really want that experience. Um, so you're almost going to university for the experience, for the life change, almost to get that independence. But I think for me what it was is just really thinking about is the degree that I'm applying for something that I'm just quite interested in but can't see myself pursuing a career in that path or like there's no role that really interests me in that area. And, and so when I was making that decision, I went, well, actually the area that I want to get stuck in, in is in business. Um, what qualifications would I need to potentially be a CEO or CFO in the future? Um, and then from there, I kind of looked down the ACA, ACCA route, went down accounting instead of tax. Um, I know that there's obviously other finance routes available, but those were the ones that interested me the most. And then started researching what firms have school leaver programs, what firms offer these qualifications and just trying to find somewhere where I'd be able to have uh, like a full time role and have like a full time pay, but also be mm. on the path of this qualification. Now, look, we, we mentioned the fact that you've you've written a book, which is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Um, the Retail Business Guidebook, Demystifying the Inner Workings of, of Retail Business. It's available uh, on Amazon Kindle, right? Anywhere else, or is it is it Amazon Kindle primarily? It's on both, so it's also on paperback as well. What? How did that start? Where Where was the genesis of an idea of I'm going to write a book? I think it all started actually whilst I was still working at BDO and I was still in audit. Um, not the book itself, but I really wanted to create kind of like a guidebook, and I believe that I did start this at the time when I worked there 
because I was preparing to move on to a role. I knew I wanted to move on into industry, but I built all of these relationships. And you know, when you kind of feel quite bad, you know, it's the right move for you, but you feel quite bad leaving and you like, I'd been there for eight years. Um, so then I started creating a guidebook for all of the information and knowledge that built up over the years, specific to understanding the businesses that we were working with. Because I thought, you know, as we're getting new graduates, new school leavers, people coming in through the ranks, um, just for them to be able to have like an all-in-one guidebook for where they can get further resources, what is the overview, and just a step-by-step 101 about a retail business. Um, so the guidebook started there and then lockdown happened. <laughs> and there was all this extra time. And I was just really on this path of, you know, what's something else that I can do? What would be something that would feel really fulfilling? And I'd be able to look back on it in the future and say, wow, I did this. Um, so then I started writing the book, but it took so much longer than I thought. I set myself a target of a year. So I think I said, right, I'll set myself a uh, New Year's resolution. I'm going to start. I'm going to start on this. Um, it took so much longer. So I think I started with the bare bones in lockdown and the idea and started building like a manuscript. But it wasn't until I started my new role um, that I really got that push and to say, well, no, I can't lose everything that I've learned over those eight years and not put that into something that I have going forward and that I can put out there. Um, so that gave me that push. And But even then, there was a further probably eight months to a year after that where I really had to push myself to get it done. <laughs> what do you think helped you get over the line? I think it dragged on for so long. And it was this summer. <laughs> I remember I, it, yeah, I, it was my birthday and I went, wow, I still haven't done this. And I said I would have done it by my birthday. So I literally set myself one month. I said, I've got one month to do this. And I finished it the 14th of August, one month after my birthday, and published it on the 15th of August. I said, there needs to be a cutoff because it was, uh, you know, when I was just, I was doubting a lot of the things I was writing. I was rereading it. I was getting, uh, just re-editing things that didn't need re-editing. And I just drew the line. Before we hit record, you talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. You said, oh, I've never done a podcast before and all these bits and pieces. You've put a book out there. I, I think it's very difficult. To, you know, that that to me would be well. That's imposter syndrome. Like I would find that very kind of. You put something out into the world, and you hope that reaction to it is is, is positive. But how how have you found that? How have people been with you and, and responded to the work? Um, so much better than I thought. So I did massively have imposter syndrome when I first finished it and published it. At that point, I shared it round with friends and family, but I didn't share yeah. it round professionally. Um, and even even to this day, there's probably more people I could have reached out to, like prior contacts or you know, marketed it more on LinkedIn. Um, and it's more just around being nervous around more senior people reading it and you know having that feedback that I know I would I, it's important and I have to accept. But it's just taking that leap of faith and saying, well, I've tried. I've put together something that I think is beneficial for people who went through what I went through or moving into the industry for the first time um, or wanting to know more about accounting or more about the processes. So eventually I went, I need to stop holding on to this and just be happy that there's some like this all in one book that I've managed to complete and put it out there. But at the time I told friends and family and I, I even hid it when I was, uh, I hid it on social media <laughs> from other people. So I only <laughs> sent it around to close friends um, and it took some time for me. I just kept, you know, working on 
letting go and eventually I've shared it with more people and been more open and started uh, marketing it out there. And and how has that process gone? I mean, has, I would hope, expectation been better? Sorry, the reality being better than than your expectation, than your concerns? Yep. So it has it has been way better. So a lot of people who I who are very knowledgeable <laughs> in these areas, and I've I said to them, um, look, please feel free to give me feedback. I finally accepted that feedback is important. So whatever you want to say about this, let me know. Um, and yeah, I've been getting good feedback. I've been getting helpful feedback, and it's just given me ideas for when I want to work on the next one, what kind of approach I should take, or what kind of content to include, and just honing in and making the writing style better um so yeah it's been a lot better than i expected because in my head like you said with imposter syndrome you think oh everyone's going to come back and go why have you done this or like who why do you think that you should have done this given your level your age so um it was definitely a worry for me given that i'm not at the end of my career and this is something you usually expect of someone who's completed their career (laughs) i mean for what it's worth um I mean, I, I don't agree on that last point. <laughs> I, I think I think everyone's perspective is important no matter where they are uh, career-wise. But I think it's brilliant to hear someone who has put a book out into the world that someone then might look at them and go, they must be really accomplished. Be honest and share those vulnerabilities because I think a lot of people who maybe would like to start a book and do have those kind of, those concerns holding them back will go, okay, they've done it. And if, if that's inside them and those are the real concerns that they have, but they've still achieved it, then maybe I can too. So I think that's that's really kind of brave to share that and be honest about it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look, as a final point, you said paperback as well. If, if someone was to get hold of it, you, you can't hide it now. Yeah. We're, we're going to push it out as best as best as we can. Where's the best place for people to, to discover a copy? Uh, that would be mainly on the Amazon website. So I think it's available yeah. on anyone. But if you're from the UK, amazon.co.uk. Um, so the best way to do that, literally just search the title, the Retail Business Guidebook, and then it'll come up with a nice red cover. And it's got a uh, yeah, a nice bold title, so it's hard to miss. And look, as a final piece, um, if, if you were to kind of talk directly to someone who is perhaps coming towards the end of education and are thinking about their first steps into the world of of business, of tech, of finance, what advice would you give them? I would probably give them the advice of um, follow certain social media, especially on Instagram, follow accounts which are um, more about like learning about tech, learning about the areas you're interested in. Again, listen to podcasts, uh, watching documentaries, I think it's so overrated just how much knowledge you can get through following better social media accounts and Mm -hmm. watching better TV and listening to better content. So that's probably one of the key things that going back I would have done at the time um, because I spent a lot of time probably trying to do like my own research or maybe doing actually controversially saying this when I put out a book, but buying a lot of books and reading a lot of content that wasn't as easy to digest as potentially just listening to a podcast or logging on social media and seeing uh, news articles on the right account. Cool. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for giving up some time. I know it's a busy time of year at work as well, so I really do appreciate it. Hope the book sales continue to go well and um, best of luck with the, with the next idea. Thank you, David. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Oh.